see those people. There we go. All right. Would you take that? Just sit right in front there. Ah, oh, fantastic. Hi. So I, as I was saying, I think the first question is, how are you? How's everybody doing? Hanging in there? All right. There's spring break and now there's pandemic break. Now, as I was saying, this has been like the weirdest week, I, I think, in my ministry yet. Uh, this week of constantly changing news going on. Um, and I gave some thought to, to all the good things, and, and, and I turned um, to uh, people who have done this before. What I have found is uh, no matter what I'm going through, there's someone who has been through it before. And the best thing I can do is ask for their wisdom. And so I opened up my books and I, I found a quote from Martin Luther, right? Oh, Spirit of Joy, Lutheran. Martin Luther, um, 16th century uh, reformer and monk and theologian and pastor. Uh, and he was pastor in Germany when the plague came through Germany. Uh, and so he wrote uh, a bit about what one ought to do if, say, a plague shows up in your neighborhood. And he said this, I shall ask God mercifully to protect us. And so the first thing we do is we pray. Then, then, I shall fumigate, help purify the air, administer medicine, and take it. You pray, and then you do something. You spray the Lysol. <laughs> Right? Fumigate the air. You take the medicine you need to take and make sure that those who need to take medicine can take their medicine. So you pray and then you do something. And then I shall avoid per places and persons where my presence is not needed in order to not become contaminated and then perchance inflict and pollute others. I like this one. Avoid where you don't need to be. Avoid where you don't need to be. Right? Maybe this is not the best week to go to a buffet meal. Maybe. Right? Maybe it's not the best week to have lunch at the food court at the mall. Don't go where you don't need to go. But along with that, well, if God should wish to take me, he surely will. But if my neighbor needs me, I shall not avoid a person or place, but will go freely. See, this is such a God-fearing faith because it is neither brash nor foolhardy and does not tempt God. It's that combination. So you'll see preachers saying, well, you know, you don't have to fear the coronavirus if you have enough faith. Just do whatever you would normally do. Well, maybe not that. Don't go where you don't need to do. go. Don't tempt God, right? It's one of the temptations in, in that story that begins Lent where Jesus is sent out in the wilderness and the devil says to Jesus, you're God's beloved. Go ahead and jump off this pinnacle and God will send angels to lift you up so that you won't die. And notice that what Jesus does not say. He doesn't say that's not true. He doesn't say God won't rescue me. He doesn't say that's not how gravity works. Instead, he says, don't tempt God. You shall not tempt the Lord your God. 
I believe that faith is a powerful thing and that God watches over us. And also I believe that we are called to not tempt the Lord our God. Don't go where you don't have to go, but wherever you can be helpful and useful, go. I like that pairing. We can go anywhere as long as we have a reason to be there helpfully and usefully. And then we got this big pile of worry with us too, though, right? So take that bit from Luther, and I'll I'll send that to you because I really do like it. We pray, we do what we know we should do, we don't go where we don't have to, and we go where we can be helpful, says Luther. Uh, But we've got this big pile of worry for many of us. And if you don't, you probably haven't turned on the news in the last seven days. Because they're working hard to give you plenty of worry. One of the things I always ask whenever the, the sort of fear is just amped up to 11 is who benefits? Someone always benefits, Right? So who benefits from all of that fear? There's all sorts of people, but make no mistake about it. When we start getting afraid, someone, someone is benefiting off of our fear. It's not to say that we ought not have worry. Life is full of worry, and there's healthy worry, right? Like, I can't go and, like, lick the escalator at the mall and then say, I'm not worried. Right? Like there's a healthy amount of fear and worry involved in life. I ought not drive 95 miles an hour down the highway out of a healthy fear and respect for life. Right? And that's okay. Maybe I ought to be worried about my child who has not called at 11 p.m. and is not home yet. Not like call the police worried, but worried enough to say, hey, where are you? And then there's unhealthy worry, that overpowering worry that stops us from doing the things that we know that we ought to do. Love the story from Acts. Acts 9 is this story that's sometimes called the conversion of Saul or the conversion of Paul. So Saul is riding along on his horse when all of a sudden there is this blinding light that throws him from his horse. He's knocked down onto the ground, and he hears this voice, Lord, Saul, Saul, why are you harassing me? Why are you persecuting me? And Saul gets picked up, and he gets sent to Damascus, and there's this poor guy, Ananias. Now, think about this for a moment. You're a Christian in Damascus around the year 40, maybe 35. So just a few years after Jesus was, you know, put to death. And other followers of Jesus have been put to death for being followers of Jesus. You have heard about how Stephen was stoned outside of the gates of Jerusalem. And the guy who was sitting there taking everybody's coat at the coat check was Saul. And the guy who went to the leaders in Jerusalem and said, look, give me a warrant. Let me get together a posse so I can find all the people who follow this guy, Jesus, men, women, and children, and put them to death for blasphemy. 
That's Saul. You're Ananias, you've heard of Saul. Osama bin Laden is in Conroe, right? Like, that, that, that's the analogy. Saddam Hussein is living in Alden Bridge. And God shows up to Ananias and says, Hey, Ananias, I've got a job for you. Aren't you excited? And Ananias says, No way. If I go to him, I'll die. And even if I wouldn't, why would I want to help him? Why would I want to help one of the worst people that I know? God says, you're right, don't go do that. Don't worry about it. The story never works that way, does it? God says, get up and go. You have a job to do. And I love this because the number of times that I have crossed my arms and said to God, God, I can think of a million reasons why I shouldn't do that are countless. And the number of times God has laughed and said, yeah, you're going to do that. Over and over again. We have a job to do. And I see the message, and, and, and one of the things that's interesting about being a pastor is, is I'm not just a preacher. I'm not just a teacher. I'm also a community manager. I'm the, the CEO of a small nonprofit. Right? So I have to think about things like the safety of our members and, and things like that. And so I want to send out all these messages, and you'll see pastors doing it about how often and how you ought to wash your hands, about social distancing. But there are better people to talk to you about those things than me. And you should listen to them. Here's what I want to tell you. We have a job to do now. We have a job to do in the midst of all this. My job is not to proclaim the precautions of how you ought to maintain your health. You ought to do those things, and I'll help remind you of them if you want me to. But more importantly, my job is to proclaim hope, and the hope is this. When the world is falling apart is when the church is the best. When the world is falling apart is when the church is the best. We have neighbors who cannot get out of their houses. How will we help them? Run errands for them. Call them and check and make sure that they're okay. Make sure that they have what they need. Medications. A trip to the doctor. We have neighbors who cannot leave their houses because their immune systems are compromised or they're older or they have young ones in the house or for whatever reason. We have neighbors and will have neighbors, continue to have neighbors who are self-quarantined or quarantined by their health care providers because they have the illness. How will we show them God's love and care? When the world is falling apart, the church is at its best. We are Ananias. 
We are the ones sent to go and help the people that maybe we would rather not help. When we would rather take care of ourselves, when we would rather make sure that we have everything we need, when we would rather make sure that we have enough Lysol, toilet paper, paper towels, whatever it is, rather than making sure our neighbors have enough. That's our call. That's our call right now in this moment. When we tell the story of Acts 9, what we often do is we put ourselves in the shoes of Saul, Paul, called by God while we're going one way to go another way. I think more often we're Ananias, called to go help the people we would rather not help, called to go. And we say to God, but don't you know why I shouldn't? But God, I'd really rather not. But God, no, thank you. And God says, no, 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 go. Go and be love in the world in the midst of all this. Go and give your neighbors a reason to hope in the midst of all the fear that is being peddled out there. Go and show your neighbors what love looks like in a world that is yelling hate. That's our call right now. Acts 1 says one of my favorite lines. It's Acts 1.8. You, you, says Jesus, will be my witnesses from Judea, from Jerusalem and Judea to Samaria and to the ends of the earth. That's our call. To be witnesses of God's love when the world needs its most. Now, some of these things are hard and some of these things are not hard. So, um, I did a quick head count. There are about 15 families here. I'm going to put these up here. Uh, I printed out directories. Take one. Write somebody a letter. Look around and see who you normally sit by that's not here today. Send them an email or a text. Let them know that you're praying for them, that you care about them. Ask if they have anything that you can pray for them about. That's an easy way to start. These are people that we know and we love. Check on them. Let them know that you love them. Then maybe you'll start to get a little bit braver. And While you're not going to work this week, maybe you'll check on your coworkers, see how they're doing. Or maybe you'll check on the mom who has three kids who aren't in school and see if she needs a break. Maybe you'll check on the neighbor who's older and needs someone to run to the grocery store for them. Our hope is that in the midst of all of this, God does not abandon us and instead calls us to be love and light in the world. There's a great hymn in many hymnals called uh, Now Thank We All Our God, and it's written by a pastor. Lots of hymns are written by pastors because we have all this free time. So it's written by a pastor, and uh, this pastor was a pastor in Germany in the 1600s. Again, when, the, when another plague was coming through Germany. Now we had three funerals so far this year. 
This pastor had 4,000 funerals in one year. Can you imagine what that felt like in that community? Here's what he wrote. Now thank we all our God with hearts and hands and voices. Now thank we all our God. Because there is still so much around us to give thanks for. There are always those who have been through what we have been through, and the best thing we can do is listen to their experience. Our job, says Martin Luther, is to go out and be useful, to be safe and to be useful, to show love and light to the world, and to continue to give thanks for the many blessings which we have today, tomorrow, no matter what the news says the day after that. We still have so many blessings, and so we thank our God.